for the promises that we see here in Romans chapter 8. Um, uh, it, we open the chapter with, there is, um, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that's a pretty incredible statement to make. So we, we spent last class, we'll spend this class kind of explaining that, or Paul and the Spirit will work to explain that. We had gotten down to the fact that, uh, verse 5, those who live according to the flesh have their outlook shaped by the things of the flesh. And those who live according to the Spirit have their outlook shaped by the things in the Spirit. We, we had asked the question, what does it look like? How do we know that the Spirit resides in us? How do we know that? And, and in Matthew 7, Jesus says, you will know false prophets by their fruits. And that kind of led us into a discussion of Hebrews, the fifth chapter. And I asked you to kind of come prepared. How do we get better at discerning right and wrong? Now, let's go to Hebrews 5, because as I was looking into this a little bit more, if you recall the context, at the end of Hebrews 5, the writer talks about... Uh, you should be, in fact, teachers, but you need someone to teach you the beginning elements of God utter God's utterances. You have gone back to needing milk and not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced in the message of righteousness because he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature whose perceptions are trained by practice to discern good and evil. Now, he's making this statement because he's making a conclusion from Psalms 110. You guys remember what that conclusion is? Priest forever, according to Melchizedek. For me, that's kind of hidden away in this short psalm about the Messiah. Now, look at the conclusion that he draws about Jesus from this statement about you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Uh, ver, or chapter 5 starts out, every high priest is taken from among the people and appointed. Um, it kind of making, verse 4, no one assumes this honor on his own initiative, but only those who called by God, as in fact Aaron was. So also Christ did not glorify himself in becoming high priest, but the one who has glorified God uh, glorified him was God. He said to him, you are, you are my son today. I have fathered you. And also in another place, God says, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now I realize that the author is led by the Spirit. But look at the conclusion that he's making at looking at Psalms 110. I don't, right? Like that's a pretty big, what would you have had to do Look at the conclusion that he makes that Jesus is the eternal high priest because God said he would be of the order of Melchizedek. What would you have had to do to draw that conclusion? If you were studying Psalms 110, what would you have had to do? Now the writer of Hebrews says, on this topic we have much to say and it's difficult to explain. Psalms 110 is a really short psalm about the Messiah that includes this statement, you are a priest um, forever in the order of Melchizedek. And look at the conclusion that is drawn. Tying Jesus 
the Messiah to this, to this prophetic psalm. So, back to the kind of original goal here. How do we get better? How, as a student, could I have gone into Psalms 110 and go, man, that, that connects there. This is the conclusion. Even though this is a difficult subject, you should be teachers by now. And so, what do you have for me? What is it that could help us be better prepared to discern? How do we practice our discernment um, to discern both good and evil? How do we train and practice that? Well, if I went to Psalms 110 and didn't know who Melchizedek was, I would need to do some studying mm-hmm. to search out who he was and uh, what's his connection here. And so that brings us to the point that in order to uh, become more mature, we have to do more study. We have to do some reading in God's Word. A hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I do think, and I don't want it to be a rhetorical question, but I do think that that's the foundation that we're talking about. Is the, is the words of God that we're going to be leaning into to draw these conclusions. And so... I. I once again, a bit rhetorical because I think everyone, I mean, we're in class right now. <laughs> so we're trying to study the Word of God and we're trying to make sense of that. And we're trying to practice and train our senses to discern uh, between right and wrong. So that cannot be understated um, in, in terms of relying on the Word of God as the, as. Once again, as Bob mentioned, like if I had gone this and I was a new individual trying to figure out what this meant, I would digest all that I could about the subject of Melchizedek. For me, it's easier, and where I would start with people, is we tend to get the Old Old Testament and try to bring it forward instead of going into the New Testament looking at Jesus Christ and seeing where he fulfilled mm-hmm. all that he's doing. And it, just, it makes it so much easier to, to look back because those people didn't have the New Testament. Jesus hadn't come and laid out a whole new covenant yet. And so we need to stay in our covenant and look and see where he fulfilled the old. I, oh, I agree. In fact, one of the things that I an area where I feel like I have grown even just recently is exactly what you're talking about. I felt like I grew up with too much distinction, if you will, between the Old and the New Testament. The Old sounds like something you just you just throw away, um, at least to a young mind. You know what I mean? Uh, and it's, it's becoming more of the, the first covenant and the final or the completed covenant in my brain. Like, I know I can't change the, the terminology there. But I absolutely, when it talks about the words of God, right, we're looking at the entire story. And once again, like the, the concept of gospel to me has kind of changed a little bit in terms of, well, yes, it is the word of God, but it's a much broader uh, application of that. Yes, Tom. When you're talking about Psalm 19, how they should glean from reflecting that or reading that. And Jesus asked the Pharisees in Matthew 22, what do you think of the Christ? Who's the son of Isaac? This is the son of David, which is, which is true. Right. And then he 
Thank you for, for chiming in with that. We, uh, Brad, we got another one. Oh. Absolutely. Very good. I, I, I love the way that you put that because, um, and, and Tommy as well, when you, I had been using the New Century version just occasionally for some devotional reading. One of the things that they do, which I kind of thought was cool, is every time, there's never footnotes. If it's an Old Testament scripture, they'll immediately put where it came from. And I had never realized how often when you see a single contiguous quote, it's from three different areas. <laughs> so kind of this reflection when I have all of the, the words of God in my, in my mind and I can reflect and I can um, tie together. That's what we're seeing here. And so this meditation, if you will, um, there's just a broad spectrum. And this class is not going to be simply a class on just, you know, how to study right. But there's a, a lot to it. Daily devotion, reflection, meditation, um, uh, all of those aspects. We had a hand up back here. Oh, yeah. There seems to be a line in Ephesians 4 on how to conduct ourselves um, to no longer walk in futility as the Gentiles and don't be callous. Uh, you didn't learn this in Christ. Lay aside the old self. Who uh, he who steals will steal no more. Let no wholesome word come from your mouth. Mm -hmm. Excellent. And that, Lord, that kind of ties everything together. And I, uh, as we talk about the original question was, how do we know that the spirit kind of resides in, in, in us? And Paul talks about it, talks about it in Ephesians, he talks about it in Romans, but he also talks about it in Galatians 5, um, which I kind of wanted to <clears throat> end our discussion on this, on this particular question. 
uh, by reading this. When you say living document, Lord, I took that to mean very active in the sense that it should change us. So, once again, how do you practice and train your senses to discern? It's about weaving the words of God into every aspect of life. When you go back to Deuteronomy 6, I mean, clearly you're talking about the ordinances, and the, but the, the imagery was every aspect of your life is shaped by the Spirit and by the words of God. Every aspect of your life. And so you get into Galatians 5. If you, are, if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, depravity, idolatry, sorcery, hostilities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish rivalries, dissensions, factions. You never think of factions as a work of the flesh. And yet this is what we see here. This divisive nature, uh, envy, murder, drunkenness, carousing, and similar things. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And back up into um, 16, live by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh has desires that are opposed to the Spirit, and the Spirit has desires they're opposed to the flesh, just like we saw at the end of Romans chapter 17. This is a pattern idea. It's always going to be a struggle between the natural man and the spiritual man. And when you lean towards one, there are very good indications that you are living by the flesh and very good indications that you're living by the spirit. And I look at this list and I have things that I need to crucify and if you're not good at um, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, reflect on the Word. Reflect on the words of God. And if you're struggling with the flesh, Paul understood that. He said, I have a war in me all of the time. Who is going to save me from this body of death? Thank God through Jesus Christ. Very good. Okay, let's head back to Romans chapter 8. Question number 2, verse 17 says that we are heirs of God... And fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Uh, back to 16 and 17 in Romans 8. The Spirit himself bears witness to our spirit that we are God's children. And if we are God's children, what does that mean for us? That we're heirs, right? We have an inheritance, um, namely heirs of God and also fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. We have talked quite a bit, and this is kind of where Brad and I had this conversation about hope and suffering, right? Like there's this thread that is weaved through this argument that Paul is making, and it's, he really draws a pretty big conclusion in Romans 8 that we tend to go through for a lot of encouragement. It was based on this idea of needing hope, because we're suffering, 
Um, so, uh, in what way are we to suffer uh, with Christ? In what ways do we suffer like him? Kind of hard to answer today, isn't it? We don't, we don't really suffer that much, do we? generic and a universal concept as opposed to there there are right like we might live in a time where suffering doesn't occur for christians but it has happened in the past and it, it does happen in the world right now and for us as a nation it might happen in the next 50 years right so it, it's um but i do agree i think there's this universal concept where we're having to most of the world doesn't have to have a conscience do they not a, not a, a strong conscience um yeah, go ahead. Well, and it seems to me if you, uh, and I haven't been here, I've been sick, but if, if so I'm not sure what everybody's been talking about, mm-hmm. but if you keep reading and you look at the context a little bit, it goes on and talking about the sufferings and talking about creation waiting and eager expectation and being subject to frustration. If you go on down, it talks about um, being subject to decay. And sometimes I think some of our suffering is not as um, maybe um, to do with like being a martyr. Right. Um, some of it, and some of it should should be depending on the situation. But um, some of it is just the being here on Earth in a fallen Earth and. Um, part of that decay and the sufferings of, of being alive in such a fallen planet. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I think that is a big part of this, this concept where our, <laughs> our minds can see far past the 80 years that we're given, right? And, and what does that do to, do to the, the corrupted nature uh, of, of our bodies? And, and when someone that we care about dies, it's always too soon, right? Um, I think that that's a, a big part of it. Um, I, I also think it has to do with the killing of the, the old man. There's some suffering that goes on there, some pruning that goes on there. Um, you, you know, this is a, a terrible example, but it's, it's, it's the only one that I have right now. I love coming to services, and I love worshiping God, but Christians only get a one-day weekend right like you you are giving a lot and you're changing your life a lot in, in the sense of I, i'm trying to to worship this this god i saw a hand and then at least we'll get it another thing that keeps coming to my mind is just being misunderstood like our motives and um like jesus was misunderstood and that's why he Motives that aren't really understood by people that aren't spiritually minded. They think um, we're doing it for our own reasons, but 
Instead, we're doing it in the cause of Christ. So maybe just that misunderstanding by the world of Christians and the motivations for why they're doing what they're doing. If you, absolutely, if you want to put a psychological wedge between two people, you make one not understand the other or, or, or even attribute, attribute bad motives to what they consider uh, the, right, the right thing. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. To do the right thing is often painful. Uh, very good. And to uh, back up what Chris has said, um, one thing I used to hate about Christians was <clears throat> their confidence. Because I, I mistook it for being confidence in themselves. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. what that translates to people that aren't thinking spiritually is self-confidence. And it's the complete denial of self-confidence. It's also, I used to hate the uh, no fear of death. So when you're coming across not fear of death and confident, this world likes to see confidence in the things that are seen. We're the only advocates for the truth of the unseen. Mm-hmm. So, like mm-hmm. you said, there's a there's a fence that comes down a wedge, and that's, I think that's the point. He didn't. He brought a sword. He didn't bring you know unity. He unites with the sword by like the ark, getting on the ark. Right. And that's extremely hard when, like Chris said about motives, we're mm-hmm. we're being judged on physical motives. So I think. We look foolish, and that's even a biblical concept. Yeah. We're going to come across as foolish, and you have to suffer that, knowing without pride in yourself or your own understanding, it's the wisdom of God that puts you in that category. And it's a struggle to back the pride of knowing the truth and having submitted to it, and then also not getting any reward for Very good. If the, if the world hated me, they're gonna hate you. That same that same concept. Excellent. We've got some scripture here, I think, that speaks to all of what is being said. I think what the things that hurt us the most, that break our hearts, mm-hmm. are generally relationships. Relationships with each other, uh, spouses, children, with with uh, the Heavenly Father. Uh, and Jesus has said it so clearly in Matthew 10, do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And the man's enemies will be the members of his household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it, and he who lost his life for my sake will find it. I think that's this yeah. great wrap up verse, what Jesus said. Yes. Yeah, heartbreaking. I, and I totally agree. I think that the focus of our um, of who we are tends to be in the relationships uh, that we participate in. And, and, and this can drive uh, a wedge that causes suffering. Uh, very, very good. Excellent. Um, 
Suffering, in this sense, is a promise of glory. If we indeed suffer with him, so, uh, so we may also be glorified with him. And Sarah, you had brought up this idea uh, uh, as we look further. And let's go on to the next question. Um, we'll read uh, 18 through 25. For I consider that our present sufferings cannot even be compared to the coming glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation eagerly waits for the revelation of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of God who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage of decay and the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers together until now. Not only this, but we ourselves also, we have the first fruits of the Spirit. We who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we eagerly await our adoption, the redemption of our bodies, for in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope because who hopes for what he has seen, um, for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with endurance. So question number three. Why is the creation waiting and eagerly longing uh, for the revealing of the sons of God? I love the imagery here. Um, I think that this is also another one of those universal concepts that, that may resonate with someone that's never picked up a Bible. Um, and it's one of those, those pattern things. So why is the creation? What is the creation waiting for? Why is the creation... Um, waiting and eagerly longing for the revealing of the sons of God. First of all, I think this imagery is just amazing. It like, is. I, I don't really spend a lot of time thinking about this, but like creation is just waiting, waiting yes. to see what God's going to do with humanity. Um, I, I think that's incredible. Um, but um, we were put in a position of authority um, in creation, and when we fell, we, we drew our creation down with us. Yes. Yeah. I I the broader spiritual. Uh, how did you put it? Broader spiritual landscape. landscape. Absolutely, in the sense that we we often look at our salvation as what I do, and and it's like it's me, and it's kind of contained in this body, and and yet. <laughs> All of this stuff was made before we were made, right? Like, uh, and, and it was subjected. I, I'll uh, uh, I'll come back to that in just a second. Just a second. I think he's referring to when our mortal puts on immortality okay. and resurrection. That's when we'll truly be immortal and glorified. Very good. And and the creation itself is apparently awaiting that, right? Because I do think there's there's a distinction here between the the, the creation and us as the creation, because there's some language there that, that seems to uh, denote that, yeah. Well, I mentioned, and I think Sarah mentioned earlier, just the, all the brokenness in the world yeah. and, and things of that nature. The word that is used in verse 20, um, creation was subject to futility. 
Mm, okay. Yes. All is vanity. And because sin is broken our world, then as a result, um, all creation to some degree shares in that fall, in yes. that vanity, in that futility. I would also say that this passage reminds us that as long as we are in this world, while we know something of satisfaction and contentment in Christ, right, right now, the ultimate answer is to the resurrection. Yes. And, and if we sometimes are overwhelmed with the futility and emptiness of life here, I don't think it should surprise us for that's the way this world is. Very, very well put. Absolutely. And, and, and tying those ideas together as a good reminder that as much joy as we have coming together and spending time together and worshiping God, there is this sense within us, there's this intuition that we are not as whole as we could be, as we were made. As we were before the fall, there is this, in, in my opinion, a, an intuition or a sense or a feeling about that. And as good as it can be in this life, it's still a broken world. And e even creation itself is waiting to get back to before we took the fruit, in a sense. This conversation with a lot of you guys sound like an echo. Um, but the trap is to make this place heaven. Yeah. To correct this place now. And you can actually see that being set globally. And that's just not the case. There's too many biblical references to I, I agree with what Roy said. This is I think this is resurrection. And the trap is set to fix here and now. And I'm I'm extremely guilty of this. I I think there are things we could do like communally to make it better. <clears throat> but I don't that's not the point. If this isn't the home. Very good. And it, it talks about how um, creation was subjected to futility. How was it subject, subjected? We, we kind of talked about the fall of man kind of drug. <laughs> you, you know, the, the, the land became hard to work, didn't it? Um, and, and so in that sense, but it also says he subjected it in hope. Yes, Lord. I just, something jumped out at me in uh, Romans 8. With, with all of the problems in this life and all of the, uh, uh, the things that we go through, uh, the, the, all of these blessings that were promised to Israel are, are fulfilled in Jesus' church. And he talks about life and resurrection, verse 23, the Holy Spirit, Ezekiel 36. Uh, it, uh, Israel was God's son. We're adopted children. He talks about that a couple of times. Uh, our, our inheritance is in him, verse 17, where God has chosen his church and God's covenant people, New mm -hmm. Testament Christians. Mm -hmm. uh, all of that we have, th these are things that are promised in this. This is who we are in Christ Jesus. Excellent. It, it, we are getting this sense of the culmination of God's plan within the body of Christ, within the church today, of all of the things that he has kind of laid out, answered by the, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus.
Very good, very good. And so, um, just to kind of recap, uh, we, because we have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we eagerly await our adoption, the redemption of our bodies. And then verse 26, in the same way, or um, uh, for in hope we were saved, now hope that is seen. So we have this kind of thing where there is something within us that knows that this is a broken and corrupted place. Um, I, I would think that this could probably appeal to those that you might be trying to evangelize to as well. So this is an important concept. Uh, I mean, as you had talked about the idea that we're not, we can make our place better, but this is not our destination. This is not our home. This is not the final place, and it will always be broken, in a sense. Uh, yeah. I, I agree with what being said, but I think uh, just to add a little nuance to it, maybe, um, is that there is within this chapter also the idea that we are his children. Like, we can take comfort in the sufferings that we go through right now. We can take comfort in knowing that we are his children. You yeah. know, our identity is spelled out in here, and all these promises are for us. So we, we do not need to be overwhelmed with the sufferings that's going on around us. We need to know that we're as children. Absolutely. Thank you for kind of bringing focus back to that because the whole reason that he's pointing this out is why the creation is eagerly waiting. It was subjected to futility, but in hope. There's the key, right? It was, and in the same way, uh, we groan inwardly as we eagerly await our adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Uh, and he talks about the fact that hope is something that I wait for with endurance, at least that's what the NET uses uh, there. That idea that it's got to be waited for uh, with endurance. Okay, so uh, he, he talks about this inward groaning in verse 23. And then he says, in the same way, the Spirit helps our weakness, for we do not know how we should pray. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings. And he who searches our hearts know the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes on behalf of all the saints according to God's will. And we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Because those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of, uh, of his Son, that his Son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And, though he, uh, and those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. So you see this ladder being climbed, or this staircase being climbed from, from suffering, uh, but to the knowledge that we've been predestined, that we've been justified, we've been glorified. And, and um, he talks about this interaction that the Spirit, this role that the Spirit plays in our prayer life. Uh, question number four, what role does the Spirit play in our prayers to God? Why is this important? I look at this as kind of like Ryan had mentioned before, this broader spiritual landscape where I may not totally know all the details, but I definitely think we should, we should uh, reflect and meditate on the value of this. Because what Paul's saying is huge. Um, it's incredible to think that the Spirit is somehow 
working on our behalf in our prayer life. place to ask it. This is, class is for, uh, class is a place to explore ideas, right? And, and, and sometimes I can give a wrong answer because, it's, but it's because I'm, I'm growing and learning. Uh, the, the tongues were, um, were something that were, was given to those individuals to help the church grow. And Paul makes reference in other areas that there will come a time where those things may not be uh, necessary any, any longer. This is something that is happening right now. This is something that goes on. And I'll give you an example. Um, if you've ever had kids, you remember working with your kids and they would just get so frustrated. It's because they couldn't find the words to properly tell you how they were feeling. You ever seen that? I mean, I've felt that before, but I also see it in someone that you care about. And there's just, there's just a big bundle of frustration because they can't express themselves. And I have found there's a ton of analogy between a parent and a child and God and us. As, I, as I'm a parent and that kind of thing. And so I think this is God helping us to think the right thing. I'll give you another example. When we were moving from Georgia, um, we were telling people, hey... We prayed about this, and we're we're gonna we're gonna move to Indiana. And someone came up and said, "Well, I'm gonna pray that you stay in Georgia." <laughs> so, which one wins out? There there is this sense in which we sometimes don't know what to pray for. If someone that we love is sick and suffering, it doesn't feel right to pray that they die, and I want them to. I don't know how to pray in that situation, or. If there is something spiritually that I'm struggling with, I don't know how to pray, maybe specifically about what I need. But we have a promise here that is incredible to think about, that the Spirit of God is with um, inexpressible groanings. Have you ever, and I love that term, because it kind of introduced it earlier, that groaning that we also see back in in 23 we groan inwardly the spirit has these inexpressible groanings things that emotions or feelings that are being felt that words can't really describe right um and so i i have felt that i have experienced that i think everyone does i think when you look back at paul in the end of chapter 7, he's like, I'm just constantly a war going on in my body. And it's hard to express and it's hard to explain. We all feel that. And so, Paul is saying in the same way, when we have these inexpressible groanings that like, I know there's something better. We were made for something more. And I live in this world that constantly breaks down. There's got to be something beyond this. 
There's got to be an eternity. Um, well, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how we should pray. He searches, he who searches our hearts and knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes on behalf of the saints according to God's will. Blows my mind. It is such a big thing in a few verses, and it's something that I think I have to reflect more upon, because this is a huge source of faith and encouragement to me. Um, and we've got just a couple of minutes, and I want to I want to make a conclusion uh, here. Uh, Raymond. Right. It's the truth that we can't see at all. So if he's examining the heart, the thing that you may be asking for is not the appropriate thing. But if he's examining the heart, the motive or wherever it's coming from, the root. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think that would be speaking instead of the flesh vessel that you are because of the, the limited wisdom that you have when you're approaching from, something has to intercede. Respect, yeah. And we didn't know what we were asking for, but we were desperately petitioning something doesn't look right here, or it seems to be getting worse. Could it be? But the whole time, as your flesh is deciphering what to ask for, he doesn't need that. Because um, you have an intercessor that already sees, and I don't know how that works. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And I think that that's, I mean, Paul calls out our weakness. There's, some, there's a weakness within us, or whether, whether it is just the, the human frailty of, of perception and things like that. But I think one of the examples that Tom Hamilton had given as he was kind of talking about this in, in his series on Romans was like, if you have a loved one who's sick, you're like, please help them to get better. Please help them. Well, what I really want is for them to be at peace. Right? And sometimes that doesn't mean staying here. You know what I mean? And so there's, to your point, like, maybe just due to our circumstance or our, our it, it, we're trying to do the right thing, but maybe I, I haven't had that experience to help me understand the Spirit helps me. So as we kind of wrap this up, so we're seeing that He predestined to save us in the image of His Son, he offered his son, said uh, God demonstrates his love towards us in that while we were still sinners, while we were enemies, he offered his son. His son is the propitiation, the mercy seat. His own spirit helps us express ourselves. We weren't just forgiven. It's so much more than just being forgiven. We were adopted, right? And so we have all of this knowledge, and then he asks, 
so what do we say about all these things? Before I answer that, Brad. Yeah, I was just thinking how much greater this is than the law, where we were trying, where people tried to fail miserably to grow closer to God. Yeah. They could only get yes. so close. Yes. And even then, it's like you had to go through a priest, through, you know, and you had to just, you could only get so close to God. And now we find out that the Spirit Himself knows our hearts yeah. and is in tune with us. Um, maybe that's where Paul's trying to point out like the, the faith and the Spirit living by those things is so much greater. Jew or Gentile, yeah. God is right here with you in relationship closer than you ever thought you could be to God, especially when you see how things worked under um, the law of Moses. I'm so, I'm so glad not only that you had mentioned that question you know, at the beginning of the class, but then your conclusion as, as I'm going through this, I think that's a really accurate conclusion. Like, the law was a, a utility that led to this not better, deeper, grander, larger thing. And it was, it, like, to the Jews, it was their entire life. And Paul's like, it's just this much of everything that you could have in your relationship uh, with God. And it's just fantastic. Um, the idea that not only uh, have I been forgiven, but that I'm now treated, it goes back to the, the prodigal son, right? The son comes back and look at the treatment that he's given. So much more than just the forgiveness of the offense. Elevated, right? The, the idea that we can make God happy um, in, in, this, in, this, uh, in our weak and feeble bodies, which we have no right we have no ability to make God happy, but through Jesus, through faith, through the Spirit, uh, we do. And so I, I love how he leads into um, verse 31. Have all of this information about how God has adopted and elevated my station. What shall we say then about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now we're going to... We're gonna, we got about a minute. And so we're going to talk about this in the next class. But I used to read this question and go, yeah, that makes sense. God's for me. It has taken on such a new depth to me. When I see everything that God was willing to do for me when I was his enemy. And when I rejected him. I'll forgive you, I'll adopt you, I'll predestine you, I'll justify you, I'll glorify you. Repaying evil with good in an inexplicable sense. And so if, if God is for us in this way, who can be against us? We'll talk about that next class. Thank you for your participation.